The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Martin Fowler, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Agile Uprising podcast. I am your host, Troy Lightfoot. And with me today, I have a very special guest. He is the creator uh, of a new exciting program called the Trainer Immersion Program, excuse me. And he has an awesome website and a company called Sparkplug Agility. And we're going to get a little deep today, hopefully, about the neuroscience behind learning, why it's why it's really critical that trainers and teachers hone their skills and take their skills to the next level based off of cutting edge research uh, and and you know why that's important and why you as someone that may be either a trainer or a customer you know you may you may uh, put down five grand right for a certification course or two grand or a thousand dollars or whatever that is or maybe your company does and how you can be sure that you are participating in a class or a course that's designed well, and that's going to give you the most for your money, essentially. Chris, do you mind introducing yourself briefly? Not, not a problem at all. Uh, first, uh, thanks, Troy. Thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Uh, for the listeners out there, uh, thank you all for your time, for, for spending a little bit to listen to us. My name is Chris Lee, and I represent an organization called Spark Plug Agility. Uh, we offer a range of things, and what people call for most of the time is kind of one of four things, either speaking engagements, consulting where we're lending our expertise in a couple of specific ways, coaching relationships like real partners, partnerships, productive partnerships, working to help uncover other people's problems, help them meet their goals. But the, uh, the main reason people call is, is training that that's the meat of our business and what really puts the fire in my belly. Uh, I've been in the classroom uh, almost exclusively for the last 10 years and I've learned quite a bit uh, over that time and gotten a chance to work with a lot of wonderful students, a lot of really interesting governing bodies, uh, wide range of subject matter. And that's really where my passion is on this and uh, part of why we're talking in this podcast today. So I'm really excited to talk about all those wonderful things you set up at the beginning of the event. Cool. Well, thanks, Chris. All right. So let's get, just get into the first topic. Uh, why should the listener care about this? And what, what I mean is, 
our, our listeners are, are active participants. You know, we have a, we have a discord that people talk in um, quite often, actually it's pretty, it's gotten p- pretty popular, which makes me happy. Um, Cause I love, I love just reading what people are posting in there. And we do mm-hmm. talk about trainings and what certification should people take and what training sh- can help me get to the next level in my career and all that. And so there's a lot of options out there, right? There are a lot of trainers that you know, for example, you're a CST like yourself. There are other CSTs. You know, there's a lot of competition in the market now that a lot of things are remote because of COVID and it's not so much localized all the time. Right. So why should the listener, what should the listener focus on? Right. That's, I guess that's question number one. And why (laughs) should they really be cautious and, or really look into or care the most about the, the trainer that's delivering uh, that class. And I, I know, I know, Chris, you mentioned uh, something to me in, in what we were preparing for this podcast mm-hmm. and you mentioned uh, ripples. And I thought that mm-hmm. was a kind of a fascinating concept. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, okay. For the first. Okay. So from a, everybody, you know, I'm always a big fan of whenever you're thinking about attending any type of learning experience, I always tell folks, do your homework, not just on whatever the course might be, uh, but also who would be delivering it. And, and even for a third part, like some of the additional characteristics, like, you know, does it provide a certification and what it might be? Uh, right. The reason why that's important to me is that uh, it's very easy to get confused about what you're actually paying for and your expectations might not get met. Like the moment you walk in, it's something that you didn't sign up for. And right. if there's one thing I can't stand, I, I don't like wasting people's time and I don't like wasting their money. Right. That, that's a big thing. So, so I'm a big fan of trying to make sure that everybody can make an informed buying decision about whatever they're trying to attend. Uh, you could see something and the ad looks really good or it seems similar. And then you get there and, and, and I don't want to say it's a full on bait and switch, but it's not what you signed up for. And then you leave unhappy. And that's kind of a, um, that's kind of a bummer right. to me. I mean, I mean, yeah. uh, the, the, the way, I wanted to mention it, uh, Troy, you mentioned ripples earlier. Uh, yeah. Did you want me to go into that a little bit? Yeah, please go ahead. Okay. So the scenario I like to talk about, like when organizations like, hey, like what could the impact be? And when you hire an impactful instructor, great things can happen. You know, you, people have a fun event, but fun doesn't really make a great event. Yeah, you can have fun and, you know, high five and Ooh, we're good, but but what really stuck, you know, did we actually have some meaningful learning? Did we build a bridge towards what we knew before to all this great new stuff we have? Hopefully you get that, but there's a, there's a flip side of that coin as well. Uh, if you attend some type of course, virtual, in-person, doesn't matter. And let's say it, it, it's not as positive an experience. You hear stuff and it maybe wasn't delivered that well, or maybe the delivery is great, but it wasn't designed as effectively as it could be. Maybe some key pieces get left out, or maybe you don't hear a fundamental like concept, or maybe you mishear, or like we get the wrong definition or the instructor slips up. You know, everybody has a bad day. I do. We all do. Right. And then you leave that class thinking, okay, I think this is what this concept is. Well, people are like, oh, it's just localized to that one small group of people, not necessarily. Because just like when you throw a rock into a pond, those ripples are going to go for quite a while and they can get pretty big because all of those students are going to go back to their organizations. This is assuming it's a like a publicly listed class. And imagine if they mishear some fundamental concept and then they start to implement it within the context of their organization without having all the pieces, dangerous things can happen. And that's how you have people working over the weekend, banging into a spreadsheet because somebody didn't understand what the concept of velocity was. 
Somebody misses their nephew's t-ball game because somebody heard the wrong thing in a class. Right. And that's not just that one person. Maybe there's 20 people in that class, 20 different organizations, each one with over a thousand people. Forget about it. Those waves are pretty big. So the impact an instructor can have on the world is much larger than people don't people give it credit for. It's not just the people right there. It's, it's those students, families, those students, organizations, those students, friends, and, uh, Boy, if we can just if we can get that <laughs> get the yeah. center of that a little bit stronger, we can change the world. Well, well, Chris, as someone who does this consulting thing and consulting, coaching, and some training, you know, for a living, mm-hmm. I, I get I get the the privilege, honestly, of, of working at many different companies and seeing mm-hmm. how this agile thing is done in a lot of different companies, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get to be influential early on, but a lot of times, someone like me or my colleagues are brought in because things have failed in the past, right? Mm, and they're yeah. like, oh, we need somebody else's perspective on this agile thing. And and because the first time we tried it, it didn't work, right? Right. And a lot of times I'll come in there and I'll be I'll work with, you know, certified scrum masters, right? Mm-hmm. Or certified scrum product owners or mm-hmm. you know, whatever certification. And there are just fundamental things that are just totally wrong. Like to, and I I, I like that, you know, I'm pretty open-minded about things, but when I say wrong, I in a sense of they are just totally against uh, essentially what Scrum is. So if you are trying to do Scrum as a framework, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Scrum framework has a Scrum guide and it would probably behoove you to have read it once, right? And so I find that sometimes, now I've worked with a lot of great people, by the way. So, but I'm saying, you know, here and there, I've worked with people and I'm like, hey, have you ever seen a burn down chart? Have you ever, you know, any of these basic concepts of cross functionality and things like that mm-hmm. uh, are just not there. And a lot of what I have to do is basically redo even the training piece of it, right? That they should have had in the first place, which they paid for. So yeah. I see this as a real problem in the industry where a lot of times, uh, the term, I think uh, Ron Jeffries coined this term, was dark agile or something like that. Dark, he, dark scrum. Yeah. Yeah, dark, dark scrum, scrum yeah. stuff is pretty interesting. Dark scrum, yeah. yeah. And I see that a lot in practice. Yes. And I think, uh, and, and honestly, people will tend to blame the organization or the culture or management or whatever. But a lot of this is sometimes, in my opinion, possibly due to poor training. It's a big uh, part of it. Yeah. So I, what do you think it. about that, Chris? <laughs> I, think it's a huge, I think it's a huge part of it. And thank you. I mean, for those of you, uh, yeah. for those of you who know me, one of the most important things to me is basics, fundamentals. Um, yeah. And, and it's funny, you know, you mentioned that Troy, cause that brings me back to a couple of stories that I have because part of the, the inspiration for the thing we're going to talk about later with this, with the trainer immersion program yeah. was, was what I saw in students coming back you know, coming to take the next step along their agile journey in some of our advanced programs. And the the assumption was made, okay, if somebody satisfies, you know, something at a certain level, you assume that make the assumption that most of it will carry over to the next. And so it's like, Hey, I'm working with a different level of student. And uh, what got uncovered pretty early is that students at the 200 or even 300 level fundamental basic things were either missing completely or completely misconstrued in a whole nother direction. And so it's like, okay. And even if they saw, you know, what they thought of was the best show that they've ever had before, it's like, they're going to remember what they want. 
And, you know, not everybody, not every show is the same thing. And then, like you said, oh, the organization and this, and those are all factors. Absolutely. But I feel that most of the pain that happens around this stuff is a lack of shared understanding about the fundamental concepts of whatever it is you're trying to talk about. So many of the arguments come from a lack of shared understanding. Effective instruction can help knock that down. I totally agree. And so that maybe leads me into my next topic, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, how people believe that people learn um, even 10 years, 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. 50 up until most recently that has evolved over time based on mm-hmm. research. Right. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that, you know, I or the audience can learn from when it comes to even the neuroscience behind learning and how we have effective training and what have we learned over the years and something that, um, you know, a nugget that, that we can, we can get from this conversation from you. Absolutely. So yeah. I never thought, Completely honest. I never thought I would be so interested in reading about educational research. Like, and I mean, to the point of like digging in uh, uh, like listservs for, for small colleges, looking for a white paper on metacognitive knowledge, true story, seeking out out of print educational framework textbooks. Um, I actually was, was blessed. Um, The lead editor on, on the book that was a major inspiration for our research, gave me three hours of his time uh, to just, just lend his, his thoughts and ears, you know, just let me soak it all in. Um, And it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, How far back do you want to go? Do you want me to go to like the fifties? I could do that. We, yeah, let's do it. Fifties to now. What do we learn? Fifties right? now. Yeah. So this is the nugget because some people are like really going to 1950. Don't worry. I'm not going to do the whole timeline. But okay. what was, what was fascinating is that when, you know, following World War II, and you think about the state of education from there and previous to that, uh, school teachers had had an interesting place in society. Um, sometimes schools were cleaner than the homes. Um, you thought about how how desks were arranged from like a custodial standpoint, um, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, all that good stuff. Uh, but what was interesting is that teachers had trouble having conversations with among themselves, like professionally, like, hey, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? And that common language and that shared understanding and that shared language wasn't really there. And so in the 50s, people throw this one particular term around quite a bit. Uh, you'll hear people say blooms, blooms, blooms taxonomy. What was interesting about this is, hey, we need to put some guardrails and look at these types of knowledge and almost looking at them in a continuum. And the way in the 50s is they thought that you would have to satisfy a certain amount of expertise, if you will, and knowledge at a certain level before moving to the next one, and that it was hierarchical in nature. Uh, Because there was an absence of this in the world in the 50s, it was like, oh, finally, now we have something we can talk to and kind of get to this common language. Well, it was focused a lot more on higher education and on assessment of students for like grades. Okay. It didn't use the language that teachers used. That was a big problem. So this golden age in the 60s and the 70s happened where all these alternative frameworks started popping up, thinking about not just the different types of knowledge, but also, hey, in our heads, what are the different types of horsepower we need to use? What different cognitive processes will help this stuff stick a lot more? Too much of education was focused on rote learning rather than meaningful learning. You pro- I mean, think about, you know, reciting facts or remembering dates, but it's like, I, I hated history. Right. Did you hate history? Pretty much. Yeah. I, I hated history because it was like remembering <laughs> dates and places. But the moment you start to say, hey, what if we could tap some different 
cognitive areas in your mind and say, hey, how can we relate these concepts to something you're seeing now? Right. Or, hey, how to read something and maybe try to look for the author's point of view. Or, hey, compare, contrast, translate. All these cool things that we do in everyday life. But what if we could apply that towards education? Yeah. So it's like, wow, this is super cool about how all this fits together. So the revision, I said, I'm going, from, I'm going basically from the 50s, quick stop in the 70s. And now I'm about the early 2000s. Okay. So much research from a psych standpoint, uh, from early childhood development, from, you know, K through 12 and higher ed, they did a lot of like cameras on research, heady educational stuff. And it's like, huh, a lot of this stuff translates over into the world of professional training that you and I live in Hmm. a lot of this, because when you're saying, okay, you go to a class, you need to make sense of it. And you need to say, okay, if I'm going to learn a technique, do I have the pieces to actually use it once I leave here? Did I build a bridge toward it? And yeah. there were some specific pieces that we needed and lining up, what do we need to do those learning outcomes along with how are we going to teach it? And how are we as instructors going to assess not only, hey, are these students picking up what I'm putting down, yeah. but also, hey, is my instruction effective? Can I update it a bit? And making sure all those parts fit together. That's the whole point of the revision to Bloom's original taxonomy that happened in the early 2000s. That's the biggest influence on uh, on why I found all this stuff. And okay. it's, it's frankly, dude, it's fascinating. Okay. It reads it like stereo instructions, but it's it's like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I was sitting on a couch listening to a Fleetwood Mac record. My yeah. wife was crocheting a scarf and I was reading a book on educational frameworks out there. I was like, when did we, when did we grow up? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> we, we used to be fun. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, this, it reminds me of, uh, oh, two things, actually. I'll tell you the first story it reminds me of, I was, this was a couple years ago. I was super excited to go to this course. Like I actually asked for the funding to go to this course from my company. Right. And we only have a certain amount of budget per year, you know, training budget. And this was glowing the whole budget. Right. So I was super excited. Two day course. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go in person. It's going to be awesome. I went there I mean, I'm not going to mention any names or even what it is because yeah, I don't yeah, want to make anybody cool. But it was the absolute worst thing I've ever been to. Oh, no. Worst, worst class, of, oh. even from high school to junior high school to elementary school. It was a fairly technical training. Okay. 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 And like engineering, like software engineering type of training. Okay. Okay. And um, the instructors literally... When I, uh, you know, a lot of it, sometimes instructors will read from a PowerPoint because there's bullets on it, right? It's Roger fine. that. Yeah. But all they literally did was read the PowerPoint bullets and then move on. <laughs> like they, did, <laughs> they didn't even answer questions. They Oof. they deflected the questions, and then they would they got through. We're, we're going to table that. We're going to get we're going to get to that later. <laughs> yeah, and then they got to the slides. They got through the slides, and they said, "Okay, now it's time to do the hands-on." Uh, activity. And I'm like, okay. So I go into it and they don't help me with the hands-on activity. I have to figure it out myself. And I'm where like, was the instructor in that time? They're just kind of in the front of the room sitting there. And so everyone is, is kind of, uh, every kind of is struggling. Like the, the class is struggling. We're all mm-hmm. trying to figure out what the heck's going on mm-hmm. first time. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the first day, I realized that if I was going to just figure this all out on my own on the website, I didn't mm-hmm. need to go to the class. Right. So I didn't. I literally did the exercise from my house the next day. 
I didn't go to the class because I'm like, this is just a waste of time. Like it's a waste of everybody's time. So anyway, so that was something that happened to me. So that was the first thing it reminded me of. Oh, that's tough. The second thing you mentioned about research, Mm -hmm. and this is kind of a plug for a previous podcast I did, but, Mm -hmm. um, but it's fascinating to me. Have you ever heard of David Cantor? That rings a bell. Did we he's, talk got about a, he's got a model he created. He's also from the 50s, I believe. Pictures of 60s. I don't remember the okay, exact okay. But basically, he was a professor at Harvard. And he was doing research on um, what made a marriage successful or not. Okay. Okay. And he basically had some test subjects over a number of years. And what he did was he had his PhD students record 24-7 the conversations of married couples on a- analog tapes. Oh my God. Oh, heavens. Oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> okay. As someone who's been married coming up on 18 years, I, uh, yeah. I'm definitely so interested in it. They interpreted that. that data and figured out that there were patterns that led to successful, com- successful collaboration among couples, basically. Okay. That's awesome. And they tried to see if that extrapolated into the business world. Okay. And the way people communicated, basically, mm-hmm. and he they found that this stuff actually worked in the business in the corporate world, and so he published his research, and he has a book called "Reading the Room" by David Cantor, uh, and so I did a podcast on this because I actually teach this and coach this as part of team collaborative techniques, like a, a language and a framework for figuring out are we c- collaborating effectively or not, mm-hmm. and how do we do that as as a group of people. And, and it's all part of becoming maturing in like your self-organization. Anyway, it just reminded me of his tech stuff. This is wonderful. Yeah. So I think, we, uh, I think you and I might've talked about this. I think oh, okay. I might've put this on my radar. Yeah. So I'll link that in the description, the book and the, um, the podcast, if you want to books. care about it. We got, by the way, for those of you still listening, yeah. uh, we got some more books and things, cool yes. resources for you. So why don't we get into that then? Why don't we get into that? Why don't we get to, what's the next step aside from going to your training, which we'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Like if someone today said, Hey, today I want to get better at this. I want to dive uh, more deeply into this. Can you give the audience a couple of resources to check out on why they should take, check it out? Like this, just as far as like education in general, like what to check yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I would dive. say, I would say a couple places. Yeah. Uh, one of the most fascinating books that, that I came about was actually the second or third one from the initial jump off point. Uh, okay. And it's about how people learn. And it's a collection of studies. uh, And the research was done and it was was published in the late 90s. Uh, There's some really helpful stuff. There are talking about like chess masters, uh, talking about uh, children, like things that make sense. Uh, All of the cool studies that they reference in there, I've been able to find at least the ones that interested me. Uh, And the book was very easy to read and very intriguing. Very, very intriguing. Um, okay. uh, it talked about assessment. It had a whole wonderful section about the learning environment in general. And we actually mm. have some of that in our program. Okay. Um, but it was a, it was an easy to read book. And that's the, that's the reason I wanted to mention that one up first. Uh, I think that anybody could pick that up and find it very, very interesting. Um, I, I don't want to botch all of the, because there's a bunch of authors and I, I want to, it's a longer title. So that's, I'll make sure to say, hey, Troy, this was the easy to read one. I'll mail you that one. So, okay. so that's a great place to start. Uh, there was another book, the one that was the uh, the major inspiration towards all of this, uh, and it's it's all about the revision to Bloom's taxonomy. 
Uh, okay. The ones that you're looking for, there's a complete edition and uh, I believe an expanded edition. I bought the complete one because there's an additional chapter uh, that goes into some additional concepts around alignment and assessment that I just mm. wanted to add to my toolbox. Okay. Uh, that's the book that I could not get enough of, man. Mm. Okay. It, it spoke to me like I cannot even tell you. Um, so much, so much. So, like, I'm lucky enough where I'm building classes all the time as well as delivering them. I know that some of some of the, some of you listening right now uh are are in a position where uh the curriculum is given to you and you just have to deliver it. Maybe you're a mix or maybe you do all of it. Well, our program takes into account all of that, but regardless of if you're building or not, this particular revision of Bloom's taxonomy was so I there were times where I had to put the book down and just look at the wall and I was like, are you kidding me? Because yeah. all the stuff that I had encountered and kind of worked out in my head, um, I was like, oh, this is how I think about these things. Oh, this is okay. this is how I feel about these things. This is something that I discovered. And now it makes more sense why these things line up the way they do. Uh, it just completely spoke to me. Like, okay. Like, okay. like on levels that I can barely even put into words. And I'm so that's something we can, we can link in the, uh, absolutely. Okay. Like this is, this is the ma- the biggest inspiration on my research for this. Okay. Uh, those Fantastic. Two. Those two. And, yeah. Okay. So okay. we'll definitely link that. Um, mm-hmm. I would. Okay. One thing I think we forgot to mention, at least I forgot to mention <laughs> is I, I see agile, right? Yes. So, our audience probably is, well, most of them are probably familiar with IC Agile as a certifying mm-hmm. body. Honestly, I think they have some fantastic courses. Uh, I am certified to teach um, one of the courses. Wonderful. And uh, I have, so I've delivered one of the courses before, and I, I think they're a great um, organization. And so how does your, uh, what you created tie into the IC Agile uh, organization? Absolutely. So uh, I'm I'll, with you. I've had a long and wonderful relationship uh, to yeah. the folks at IC Agile. Yeah. Uh, if any of you are listening, like love you all. You guys are great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what what I what really drew me? I'll tell you a little bit first about how we fit, but I want to tell you why. What what drew me to them originally? Yeah. Uh, their approach towards education was one that really resonated well with me. Uh, there are governing bodies out there in the Agile space and also in other professional training, product training, where uh, the curriculum is is maintained externally and you simply deliver it. You might be able to influence some of the input, you know, it maybe take some creative liberties in the classroom, but the majority of it, uh, you have to say, hey, give me the latest and greatest. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the spectrum, there's times where um, you have full creative freedom and you can do whatever you want. This could be like a, you know, a non-certified, make it up as you go around. Um, There's other governing bodies that say, hey, we want to make sure you're in line with these objectives, but you have a very challenging um, approval process to get the accreditation, all these different flavors. Uh, What I've, what I've always been refreshed about when it comes to IC Agile is that the collaborative nature of wanting to bring more people into the fold to help organizations level up from an educational standpoint. Yeah. That, okay. that's, a, that's a big selling point for me. The fact that IC Agile says, hey, we're going to identify these learning outcomes that we want the students to achieve by attending these courses. And we want you, member organizations, come up with what you want to teach, the way you want to teach it, what fits you, and yeah. we'll work with you through an appraisal process and actually award an internationally recognized certification on it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that you know, 
from an investment standpoint, from a barrier of entry standpoint, it's comfortable for a lot of people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to work with them to blaze this was was huge. So our relationship to them. Uh, the reason why I, we reached out to them originally, one, because we've known them for a very long time, but two, when I started coming up with these ideas around the program, I wanted the widest possible audience of instructors. And what does that mean? Um, and I'll just say it. How many of you out there probably have had to teach a, a product from, from Scaled Agile? I want to help them level up. How many yeah. people have taught something? I mean, uh, uh, dance stuff, wonderful stuff, a little bit more creative freedom. How many right. aspiring CSTs are out there that are trying to level up their skills to do that? I want to help them out too. How many yeah. people are out there wanting to be a less trainer, a scrum at scale trainer, uh, already offering IC agile classes internally and publicly? It's it's there's so many people out there that don't they're not getting the help and support that they need. And okay. I I didn't want to go on, you know, you know, people like Chris, why why didn't you 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 roll this out with someone else? It's like I felt it was the best fit to impact the most amount of instructors. So that makes so that's a lot why of sense. We, yeah. That, that, that's why we made that call. Um, right. We've been working together on this for a while. And with their endorsement, we've been trying to bring this out here. And this is a big, uh, this is a big, you know, hey, to have them say, hey, we're, we're helping to support this along the way. We're collaborating with them. And the intent is to grow this into an entire new certification path focused on education. Beautiful. Um, that's coming down the road. Okay. Awesome. So why don't you give us then like... The uh, let's put it this way: the thirty-second elevator pitch of your course, because you, I know, on your website you have a video which is about fifteen minutes long, right. which kind of goes over all the details. Right. Um, but the the pitch of we kind of been talking about it, like why you would want to get better at training or why you would want to ensure that your trainer has the necessary skills, of course. But for the aspiring, either aspiring trainers or the already professional trainers who want to take their skills to the next level, right? and differentiate themselves from anybody in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about your course? Why should they care? That's my question. They should care for a number of reasons. Yeah. One, as an instructor, regardless if you hit the classroom once a year or once a day, uh, you've been given a very, very important job. And that's yeah. to help other people grow and develop, to teach them something. And mm-hmm. Regardless if you've been doing this for 50 years or you just started yesterday, uh, there's a very good chance that whatever you've seen in the classroom as a student is pretty limited, especially if you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. There, there, there's not a, a wide range of classes to go to. If, if you want to be an agile coach, you got books and classes and all this great stuff. You want to be a developer. You were talking about class that wasn't that effective. Mm-hmm. And there's all these ways to level up in all of these disciplines within the agile industry, but but who's helping you out as a trainer? Yeah. Who's helping you discover, hey, how do we deal with some different options to handle Q&A? How do we handle trouble in the classroom? What if you actually can go ahead and move some chairs around and create learning environments? What are the impacts, positive and negative? Yeah. How do we do that? What about actually saying, hey, what if you want to chase down some of these accredited, you know, some of these licenses to offer these high in-demand training? Those approval processes are really challenging, really yeah. hard to get through. You have to go ahead and we say, build your own lightsaber for some of these. Mm. Building the next round of instructors is what this is all about. And, and 
in what I to, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Chris. I mean, I was going to say in, in my times in volunteering, both on the fundamental and advanced tracks within Scrum Alliance, uh, in my contributions to the framework, uh, working, uh, on all that great stuff in scaled agile's world in developing ic agile classes for multiple organizations i was trying to figure it out on my own and Mm. that's tough but i I stuck to it but i don't want somebody else to have to go through go through that closet without a flashlight i want to go ahead and share as much as i've come up with from then till now so that your job's a little bit easier and you can help more people more effectively that when they're leaving that class, people don't feel the way you did and didn't come right. back for day two. Yeah, for sure. So I'll just say, you know, my my last piece about this is what intrigued me about, you know, why I wanted to have you on is because mm-hmm. I really feel like this is beyond agile. Like we're talking about it because our background is an agile and this is an agile podcast, of course, but I mean, it sounds like th- to me the things that are in this course are are really kind of agnostic itself of agile really it's just more about how to be a better trainer which i find is you could apply those skills to anything in life right so that's absolutely correct yeah that's what fascinated me about it because i'm like oh this isn't an agile course this is like a this is like develop that hone your skills right developing your competencies at, at being able to teach others and 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 help people learn so i think that's it's a great thing you're doing. So, And an important thing to add to that yeah. is that um, because it's spread and it is agnostic of industry and all, uh, yeah. the biggest thing, I, I had a conversation with a, with a prospective uh, student uh, a little bit ago, and they said, mm-hmm. is this about seeing your style? I say, no, this is about me helping you discover your own style in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Let me share with you some options that you can start to build your own toolbox. Right. So it's like yeah. a combination of coaching and training together. Sounds like it's, it's, like, it's, yeah. it's pretty comprehensive, but yeah, I mean, there, yeah. there's, there's, a, there's an on-demand learning piece of it. There yeah. is, there's self-work where you level up there. There's in-room portion where we're working together, not just with me, but putting this stuff to use in a comprehensive five-day program. And then there's mm. taking that and using it in your classroom and then one-on-one time with me. It's mm. all about making you better as an instructor, regardless of where you're coming from. Beautiful. Well, thanks, Chris. Any, uh, any, you know what? I have a question for you, Chris. Yeah. I totally. To- I'm going to throw you a curveball. Curveball. Yeah. We haven't prepped for this either. Okay. Give the audience one thing that has nothing to, to do with anything we just talked about that either a book, a movie, or a TV show or something they should check out. What do you got? A book, a, a movie, or a TV show, a TV or a video show. game. Something and some piece of entertainment, which they can. Piece of entertainment. Okay. Piece of entertainment. Uh, There's a wonderful book out there called Backgammon for Blood. Okay. And what it is, is so I'm a backgammon player. Okay. Um, I love games. Uh, I'm big into fighting games. We've talked about this. Uh, I love card games. But one of the most fun games that I've played was, uh, is, is backgammon. And my wife and I play it quite a bit. Um, I offered up a couple books to a friend of mine and, and that was one of the ones in my library, but it was an interesting take on things. It's a pretty yeah. easy read. Uh, okay. that's, that's a book I would say, if you're interested in reading about backgammon, it's a decent, it's a, it might not be the best one, but it was an interesting one to get you, uh, get you kind of started because the coolest thing about backgammon, the mixture of luck and skill is fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. There you go. Another book you can check out. There you go. <laughs> back, Kevin. I'm trying to think if I have one. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Um, I mean, I got books. I got book book stuff like 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 that. That's like a, I thought games. You know. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, comics. Yeah. Comics. 
Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Last Ronin. Go check it. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> make make that happen. That's good. Um, I, I love, I, I just love all nerd stuff. All right. Well, <laughs> I think we, we'll we leave it right there. At Ninja leave it Turtles. At that. No problem. Turtles. So, all right. Well, thank you, Chris, for your time. I appreciate thank you. it. Um, and thanks for listening, audience. Um, and if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach us on our Agile Uprising Discord. It's totally free. And you can talk to any of the Agile Uprising board members, uh, like myself. I don't want to leave anybody out, so I'm not going to even mention all the names. But you know <laughs> who they are if you're listening. And we're all on there for the most part, and it's free interaction. You can ask any questions you want, and you could just talk to other people, like-minded people that are listeners. And it's all free. So um, I'll link that in the description as well, okay? So thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. It was great having, seriously, seriously, it was, it was great for you to have me on this. Thank you. Thank you.